Welcome to the Modern Law Library. I'm your host, the ABA Journal's Lee Rawls, and today I'm joined by Nora Riva Bergman and Chelsea A. Castro. Uh, and we are here to discuss the book, 50 Lessons for Happy Lawyers. First of all, I'd love to hear from Nora. Nora, can you please introduce yourself a little bit? Tell my listeners what you're all about. Yes. Well, first of all, Lee, thank you so much for having us here to talk about the book and share some of the insights from the book. Uh, I am an attorney. I'm in Florida. Uh, I have been a licensed attorney here in Florida since 1992 and practiced law for about nine years. Uh, doing primarily employment discrimination law. I learned kind of early on in my practice that I didn't enjoy litigation so much and made a conscious choice to to shift gears away from the active practice of law, but staying within the legal community. I went from actively practicing to becoming the executive director of a regional bar association here in Florida. And while I was there, uh, I was recruited to start working as a coach for lawyers with a company called Atticus in 2006. And so since 2006, I have worked coaching uh, lawyers, law firms, and legal aid organizations, bar associations, just about any organization affiliated with the practice of law uh, I have worked with over time. In 2016, I got the idea to write a book called 50 Lessons for Lawyers, the subtitle of which was Earn More, Stress Less, and Be Awesome. And that book uh, was actually a compilation almost of, of articles and blog posts and other things that I'd written. It started out that way, and it kind of morphed into uh, the book. And since then, I've read a, written a couple of other books. This is the third in the series. And this is the first one you've written with Chelsea A. Castro. Is that right? Yes. Chelsea, could you please tell my listeners a little bit about who you are and how you came to work with Nora? Yes. So like Nora, I am a licensed attorney. I'm licensed in the District of Columbia and the state of Michigan. And my legal career was primarily focused on foreign corrupt practices. So I did a lot of internal investigations, preparation for litigation, things like that. Stuff that was cool at like the 30,000 foot level, but in the day-to-day -day grind just uh, wasn't for me. I did a lot of soul searching and a lot of research and took a lot of time and eventually realized that while the legal profession is wonderful and a great fit for many people, it just wasn't my long-term career. So uh, I took the risk and I went back to get my clinical degree at the University of Chicago and have since been a psychotherapist and performance coach who helps lawyers instead of practicing law. I knew I didn't want to leave the law entirely. That identity as a lawyer was really strong for me, but I also knew I wanted to serve a different function in the profession. And that's kind of how I came to be where I am today. I, I have my own consulting firm and, and private practice, and it's one of the best decisions I've ever made, frankly. it was It's really helped me find my place within the legal profession. So, and that's kind of how I came across Nora, because as a consultant and coach and therapist, I'm often asked and hired by law firms or bar associations or, you know, tech companies in the case of how I met Nora to provide continuing legal education to their lawyers. And so I do wellness trainings, ethics trainings, things like that. And I just so happened to do one that Nora participated in. And I'll tell, I'll let Nora tell the story because she's so much better at telling the story than I am. 
but in a sense, that's kind of how we came to be. We both were on this second career path and we crossed paths and realized we were a great fit. For me, this has been a really wonderful ride. Uh, it's kind of the culmination of everything that I've worked on throughout my career years coming together. And uh, it's, it's really exciting to be able to help and support lawyers in this capacity. And Nora, now I have to ask you for the story. Give us the story. Okay, so here's the story. So I mentioned that first book, 50 Lessons for Lawyers, which uh, released in 2016. After I wrote that book, I envisioned that book as becoming the first in a series of 50 Lessons for Lawyers books. And the, the second book in that process was going to be a book called 50 Lessons for Mindful Lawyers. Well, that was in 2018. And uh, in 2018 and early 2019, the Me Too movement really kind of came on the scene in a, in a very dramatic way. And I thought that, you know, it was, a it was a time for women lawyers really to be heard more than ever. And uh, I got the idea for a book called 50 Lessons for Women Lawyers from Women Lawyers and uh, reached out to 49 other women lawyers, some of whom, like me, were licensed attorneys, but had, and Chelsea, had chosen to remain a licensed attorney and choose a different career path and do some different things. So uh, I had collaborators who were practicing attorneys, entrepreneurs, authors, law school faculty, judges, state judges, federal judges, uh, just an incredible diversity of different paths and different stories from these 49 other women. Unfortunately, I didn't know Chelsea at the time, or she would have been part of that book as well as this book. So that that book was released in uh, early 2019. And then I came back to the original book, 50 Lessons for Mindful Lawyers, which as I started writing it, realized that it needed to be about more than simply mindfulness. Because when we think of our own wellness and well-being, Mindfulness, being mindful is certainly a part of that, but only a part of one of the things that we can actually do to be happier, to honestly be happier. And as the subtitle of this book says, to boost our wellness and build our own resilience. So I shifted the book, changed the title. And uh, last year, in 2021, and Chelsea, correct me if I've got this wrong, I attended one of Chelsea's trainings online. It was on the topic of burnout. And I was so impressed with her that I reached out and asked her if I could interview her for this book, which I did. And we just kind of hit it off immediately. And, and shortly after that interview, I just started thinking about the idea of asking her if she'd consider co-authoring this book with me, which she did. And uh, we worked on it as a collaborative project um, starting, gosh, almost a year ago now and finished it and released it in May of this year to coincide with Mental Health Awareness Month and have just had the most wonderful, stressful, stressful writing a book, no doubt about it. And sometimes we had to, we had to remind each other of the lessons that we were writing, you know, along the way, because you, 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 you teach what you need to learn sometimes, but uh, it's just been a wonderful experience. And I'm glad you brought up subheads because one of them is research-based strategies to increase your personal and professional happiness. And so I would love to hear what kind of uh, research this was. 
I know, you know, you mentioned actually in the introduction, some of the studies that the ABA has done show a profession, I, I don't know that I want to say a profession in crisis, but high levels of people feeling real personal depression and anxiety and, you know, panic. We know that addiction issues are rife within the profession. So when you're approaching that kind of a, you know, highly intelligent, but really suffering group of of people, what kind of research were you looking to when it came to how can we best serve this audience? Well, as, as Nora can attest, I, I did some deep dives into the, the psychology medical journals. But of course, those are not the only reputable resources out there. We also have, uh, we link a lot of articles and whatnot as secondary resources. But we wanted to make sure that whatever we were suggesting, practicing with the reader, exposing the reader to, was based on solid science. And to do that, we wanted to make sure that the reader could then reference what we were what we were basing our recommendations on. And while we don't expect every reader to go to the American Medical Journal or what I, I could go on and on. Anyway, we want them to know that it's there just in case they want to verify, just in case they want to understand how these conclusions were drawn. And so we, in the just, I guess, to answer your question in a very circuitous way, uh, the research was taken directly from medical journals, from psychology journals, from those primary resources, and from more digestible, if you will, secondary resources, such as articles from the New York Times or from the Atlantic, things like that. Uh, because we want readers to continue their reading if they think it's of interest to them or would help them understand the process more and to have a variety of resources from which to draw from depending on what they feel comfortable with. So we didn't conduct the, the research ourselves as far as, you know, scientific studies and whatnot. But I think given our mutual legal backgrounds, we always want evidence for anything that we are proposing and so we, we really did some deep dives out there. And uh, one thing I love about working with Nora is she she is just as meticulous as I am about wanting to uh, back everything up. And so that's actually one of the great things about this book is that the readers can can go take a look at the very same things we looked at and draw their own opinions if they like. And before we go any farther, just uh, as someone who has read the book, Uh, The last thing I want to do is have our discussion here where we're talking about what underlies the book and the research that you, um, you know, call on. I don't want anyone to think that this means that this book is in any way dry. Uh, I think that you wrote it very approachably. (laughs) There were a number of moments that I that I chuckled. I came away from some chapters just, you know, feeling feeling better about an issue uh, so I would love to just read out a couple of the, you know, lessons just to give you an idea of the kinds of language. But I'd also, Nora, I don't know if you have a book there and you would be willing to uh, read us an excerpt. But, you know, these are lessons like feed your brain good stuff. Start your day with a good stretch and some endorphins. Don't be so judgy. Identify your invisible saber-tooth tiger. You know, I mean, these are... These are approachable things. This is not going to feel like homework. I feel like 
this is a book that you can, uh, you know, pick up, read a lesson or two, and then move on with your day. This is this does not feel like yet more work to pile on top of your day as a professional lawyer. So when you were approaching that writing process, how did you make sure you kept that kind of tone? I would love to hear from you on why you structured the chapters in the way you did, including having these little living the lesson things at the end of each chapter. Yeah, Lee, first of all, thank you. Our our goal uh, with this book was to make it accessible, to make it relatable to people, to take concepts that can be very complex. And in fact, I think Chelsea and I have talked to each other about, you know, each one of these lessons in and of itself could be its own book. I mean, there, there's a lot there. Our goal was to give lawyers information that they could actually act on. So, you know, I mentioned that I've, I've been coaching lawyers since 2006 uh, and consulting with law firms since 2006. And the challenge for all of us, not just lawyers, is that so often we know what we want to do. We know what we need to do to have a happier, healthier life. It is in the doing that the challenge lies for everybody. So the goals of the 50 Lessons for Lawyers books is to give folks relatively short, easily digestible topics and information that, as Chelsea said, is grounded in research, grounded in science. Uh, we cite numerous and recommend uh, numerous other books on some of these topics and, and, and direct anyone who's reading to those resources as well. And then at the end of every lesson, as you mentioned, Lee, there is a section called Living the Lesson. And that's where we give you some strategies on how to apply this lesson to your life. So the 50 Lessons for Lawyers books are written in a similar format. Each lesson is a standalone chapter, if you will. You don't have to read these books cover to cover. You have to pick it up, start at the beginning and read to the end. No, you can pick it up, look at the lessons, read any lesson that might resonate with you. And then, as I would say to my own clients, experiment with what you just learned in your own life. So the Living the Lessons sections are designed to help you begin to actually apply and implement what you've learned because the knowledge is not enough. Knowing something is not enough. There is a disconnect between knowing and doing. And we have worked really hard in this book to help bridge that gap. So you, you can read the lesson and then you can begin to live it. And you know what? Not all of these lessons are gonna work for everybody. Maybe there's only one lesson in this book that really resonates with you that you want to apply. But if you apply it and actually do the things that you've learned, it can change your life in, in a really, really powerful way. And let me, let me just speak to the concept of happiness just a little bit. One of the books that we cite is uh, written by a woman named Sonia Liebermierski, and it's called The How of Happiness. And she is a professor at uh, Berkeley in California. And is affiliated with the Greater Good Science Center. As a side note, uh, the Greater Good Science Center is uh, one of our partners in this book, and a portion of the proceeds from the sale of this book will go to support the Greater Good Science Center. Also, another partner is 
the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. A portion of the proceeds will go to support that organization as well. And also the Institute for Wellbeing and Law. So we are hoping that we can have a broad reach and help a number of different organizations. But coming back to this book, The How of Happiness that we cite, in Sonia Libermirsky's research, she found that our happiness is dependent upon three things, really. And we just give you an overview of what those three things are and recommend that you read her book if you want more information. But what she has found in her research is that 40% of what, what allows us to feel happiness in our lives is attributable to our genetics, essentially. You know, those things that, that make us up from a genetic perspective. And let me back up a moment because I just misspoke. About 50%. 10% of what affects our level of happiness in our life is contributed to mm, life events. You know, winning the lottery might make you very happy. Buying a car might make you very happy for a short period of time. But those, those types of happiness from events and, experience and things of that nature can be fleeting. 40% of what makes a difference in the happiness that we feel in our lives is attributable to those things that we actually do. So we can do things that affect how we feel and can affect our level of happiness, our emotions, our wellness, and our sense of well-being. For me, even before I met Chelsea, the goal of this book was to bring that research and ideas and suggestions on how you can be a happier, healthier person to people and um, then give them strategies on how to actually apply it in their life. Well, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. And when we return, I will still be here with Nora Bergman and Chelsea Castro to discuss the book, 50 Lessons for Happy Lawyers. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at InfoTrack.com simple. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. Welcome back to the Modern Law Library. I'm here to talk about 50 Lessons for Happy Lawyers with its authors, Nora Bergman and Chelsea Castro. We are talking to each other at the end of June. It's June 27th, uh, the day that we're having this conversation. And uh, recently, there was the Roe versus Wade decision that came down. Uh, there has been 
the war in Ukraine. There has been the January 6th insurrection. There have been a number of world events that make it clear that there are systemic issues, which at an individual level, we can only have so much impact on. Uh, And as I was discussing before we came on the air together, for me, one of the things I took from reading the lessons here was this can be a way to help sustain yourself while you're dealing with, you know, immeasurable stress. And often lawyers are the ones working on these very scary systemic problems. And I'd love to hear from you, Chelsea, what you Uh, have been telling clients who talk about feeling overwhelmed by the scope of the problems the legal community and just everyone at large is having to deal with. We're still in a pandemic. What has been your advice when people are saying, how do I keep my life and myself together so I can be useful and I can help in these larger community endeavors? Oh, as a psychotherapist, which is usually the context in which I have lawyers coming to me to talk about these very uncomfortable and upsetting things. We make sure to make space for feeling those feelings. There's a there's a title in the book, actually, that goes something along the lines of have a good cry. And while we don't have to cry in, in a session, we do really need to allow ourselves to feel the fear, to feel the uh, upsetness, to feel the frustration of it all. Uh, Because if we don't allow ourselves the opportunity to feel those feelings, because frankly, they're going to be there anyway. They're either going to be suppressed and eventually explode out of us in a variety of potentially unhealthy ways, or we give them an opportunity to, to be recognized and accepted in a healthy way. And so that's something we'd always do in session is give an opportunity to talk those feelings out and to... When I say talk those feelings out, I mean, and for lawyers, this can be tough, to go beyond just the intellectual discussion of the issue that's upsetting. It's really easy for us as lawyers to keep a conversation intellectual, even though it is emotional. So part of my challenge is in in training individuals and creating a space where lawyers can go past the intellectual and actually dig into the emotional part of it. So this is, I say this twofold because we have the giving space to have the emotional part of it so that you can give yourself the freedom to not always be in the midst of those emotions. So you can have an opportunity to be present with your family, to be present with your work, to be present with your friends, to be present with yourself, whether that be cooking or enjoying your coffee, or maybe you work out. You need to have that opportunity to be in the moment, to reset for relief. And those of us who do not give ourselves the the freedom, the opportunity to feel those upset feelings from as you from the laundry list that you just gave, I mean, that's that's just the past few days. Not allowing ourselves to have that to experience those feelings in a an intentional way drains our experience. In, throughout our other waking moments, because we're not, essentially we're creating a competition between being present with your family and these feelings that are there anyways, knocking on the door. So we're we're essentially allowing the creation of a release valve when we um, 
I let these feelings happen. Not unlike, you know, crying is a physical release valve for a lot of uh, stress hormones. Talking about feelings, really having the language to dig into this stuff is a cognitive release valve so that you can move more freely and be more present the rest of the time in your life. And I'm interested to talk to you both about when you work with firms. I know that Uh, Certainly, I have heard from small, medium, large firms, they are aware that their lawyers are experiencing these issues, that they're under so much stress, et cetera. But it can be very difficult in your career to disclose what those stresses are doing to you, the things that are blocking you from feeling happy in your personal and working life. How Do you think at, let's say, a firm level, someone can open that kind of a discussion and say, hey, guys, I know that we're all doing our best to maximize our billable hours. It's very vulnerable to say, and that's getting to me, and I'm wondering if that's getting to you too, and I'm wondering if there's a thing we can do as a firm to start helping each other. Well, Lee, this is Nora, and I'll just speak to that. I think the awareness of the law firm culture is uh, developed more now than ever before. I mean, there is a keen awareness uh, among law firm leadership, certainly at the ABA, with the ABA's uh, Health and Wellness Pledge, that the law firm culture enables, supports, creates a place of employment that's antithetical in a lot of ways to health and wellness. Mm-hmm. One of the books that we actually cite in our book is a book called Dying for a Paycheck by Jeffrey Pfeffer. And he talks about the fact that employers can either create workplaces that support health and wellness in their people, or they can create workplaces that literally kill them. And the legal culture forever has been a culture in which lawyers brag about how many hours they work. They're expected to work just inhuman hours on a lot of levels. And as I said earlier, the, the, the awareness is there now. I think that that's the first step to action. Awareness is the first step to action. Our book is, is written, it truly is written more from a personal level with the idea that leadership within law firms needs to begin to understand on a personal level the importance of health and wellness and resilience and well-being so that they can walk the talk, so that they can model that kind of behavior uh, for the lawyers that work with them. Again, not an easy thing to do, not a simple thing to do, but the the awareness is there. And I think that is one of the most, that's, one, that's a first step, an important first step. Let me put it that way. If I can circle back around to something that you asked Chelsea a moment ago, Uh, In terms of everything that is happening in the world right now as we're having this conversation that can just be all too much sometimes, there is a lesson in the book, and it's titled Feed Your Brain Good Stuff. And it addresses the, the need for us to do exactly that, to be very mindful of what we are feeding our brain. And all too often, we do not give our brain a healthy diet. So if I could just give a tip or two, and this is an individual tip to folks, with the disclosure, self-disclosure, that I am a news junkie. Uh, So this is one of those lessons that I have to remind myself of uh, throughout the day. Turn off 
push notifications on your phone. If you have notifications coming to you from different news sources throughout the day, think about the last time that one of those pushes interrupted you with some really happy news that made you feel good. I think you'd have a hard time doing that because those pushes that are coming to your phone throughout the day are almost always negative. And they're negative uh, for a very insidious reason, because the people that are sending out those push notifications know that we pay attention more to negative information than we do to positive information. And there is a lesson in the book that addresses that very thing, too. As a journalist, I can confirm uh, we see, you know, we have the data. We can see what you click on. And I would say for every feel-good story that gets a lot of traffic, there are, you know, 15 to 20 stories that were clicked on because something terrible happened. Yeah. I mean, that that's the, our brains are wired that way. Um, you had mentioned a, a little while ago, uh, Lee, the idea of reading an excerpt from the book. So on that topic, I'm, I, I would like to read an excerpt. Then, I, then um, I, I'll be quiet. And you could talk to no, Chelsea, please. But. We, we want to hear. I love to let my readers get a feel for the language of a book before, before them going out to pick it up themselves. So while I've, I don't recall ever actually reading a portion of one of my books, but this one seems particularly relevant in the moment. So this is from that very lesson, Feed Your Brain Good Stuff. Let's start this lesson with a quick experiment. Now I'm going to ask everybody here to actually do this if you're listening to this podcast. First, look around you, whether in your office, at home, or outside. Look around and notice everything brown. Take just a few minutes to do this. Then make a mental note of all the brown things that you see. Go ahead, look around, we'll wait. Now, close your eyes, and when you do, make a mental list of all the things around you that are blue. After we asked you to focus on looking for brown things, could you recall any blue things? You probably had some difficulty listing them. And when you opened your eyes, you might have been surprised by how much blue there is around you. This is an example of what we mean by you get what you focus on. The experiment seems simplistic, yet it illustrates the reality of how our brains work. Our brains will seek out what they are primed to look for. If you're focused on negative thoughts, your brain will seek out more negative thoughts and experiences. So be careful what you focus on because you're likely to get more of it. So that concept, I'm stopping reading now, that concept, together with the fact that we're wired to pay attention to negative things, can create a tidal wave of negativity uh, in, in your mind and in your body and in your emotions. Chelsea and I could go on for quite some time about the fact that lawyers do have emotions. We like to think that we are some superhuman beings that don't aren't affected by emotion as other people are, uh, but we do have emotions. And the more we can understand them and be aware of them and actually do things to create positive emotions in ourselves, not only will we feel better, not only will we have a greater sense of well-being, but as the research in our book points out, the more positive emotions you can genuinely feel the better your cognition, the more creative you are, the better you are at problem solving. Science has proven these things. And aren't those great skills for a lawyer to have? Yeah. And, you know, I, you mentioned burnout earlier in our conversation. And I don't know that I've spoken to anyone in the last two years who was not experiencing symptoms of burnout. 
And, you know, it's easy to feel daunted by the amount of work ahead we have as a society to address all of the problems we have. And, you know, if at a personal level you are struggling with getting through the day with taking care of yourself, you know, I I have a lot of fears for that, for the people who are being asked to take on very large roles in our society and fight very difficult battles as many lawyers are now and will be doing in the, in the future. So, you know, I, I do think, and I hope everyone who is listening to this podcast uh, hears this. I think that, you know, we need to check in with ourselves. We need to make sure that we are doing the work we need to do to be happy warriors. If that is what, is called for in the in the near future. Chelsea, when you first approached this project, was there anything that surprised you uh, as you were gathering some of these insights? Uh, anything that, that really struck you or an aha moment you had? I guess that going through this process as an author, you also try to go through it as a potential reader. It gave me an opportunity to see it through fresher eyes, you know, since I'm always in like in in the weeds about it, whether training or or coaching or or in session. It it gave me, I guess I would say if there's an aha moment here, it's the, oh, like this can be viewed as something fun. Like going through these, learning about this with fresh eyes in take, taking these very complex psychological behavioral concepts and boiling them down into really digestible terms, like when you read it from that perspective, it could be really fun doing these little experiments on yourself and on your behaviors and raising these awareness when it's presented in such a digestible way can be really fun. So I, I guess it kind of reacquainted me with all the material uh, with fresh eyes. And I, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting it. it. It was definitely fun in that sense. And there are moments of fun here. Like I, I myself, one of the things that I uh, read and then laughed and immediately started thinking about what can I put on this list is the uh, lesson 27, make a to don't list. Yeah. And it's, you know, <laughs> what can you take off your plate in these moments when we are feeling flooded by negativity, flooded by all the work that is to be done? Let's look and see, well, what are we doing that we don't need to be doing right now in this minute? Let's not do it. Let's let future future us worry about that or someone else altogether. So yeah, I, I do hope that uh, if our listeners pick up 50 Lessons for Happy Lawyers, they realize that, you know, this is not a slog. This does not seem like homework. And really, you know, I, I, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn when I say you wrote this as an inspirational kind of guide. I take that as a compliment. Thank you, Lee. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. So there are, you know, two other books beyond 50 Lessons for Happy Lawyers. Um, and, and both of you have, you know, practices independent of each other. If one of my listeners wanted to reach out to learn more about this book, other books, your work, uh, how could they do that? I'm going to start with Nora. Uh, thank you. Well, th- our book, 50 Lessons for Happy Lawyers, is available on Amazon. So you can you can get your copy at Amazon, either paperback or Kindle version, as the, the first two 50 Lessons for Lawyers books are also there as well. The book itself, 50 Lessons for Happy Lawyers, has a website at that very address, 50lessonsforhappylawyers.com. And you can learn a little bit more about the book and about Chelsea and me there. 
I mentioned that I do work with uh, Atticus, which is a coaching company. I also have uh, my own company. It's called Real Life Practice. And the good thing about my name, Nora Riva Bergman, is that if you Google me, you're only going to find one of me. There's only <laughs> one of me on the internet. So I'm really easy to find, uh, whether it be Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, all of those resources. If you Google my name, you will find me. Shout out to the other Lee Rawls, who is a California <laughs> attorney. Hey there, buddy. Sorry about the uh, name confusion. And uh, Chelsea, how can people get a hold of you? Well, like Nora said, the book itself does have a website, so you can learn more about us and the book there. Uh, I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn, but unfortunately, unlike Nora, whose name is very reasonably spelled, my first name is, doesn't have a typical spelling. Uh, it's written down so that it can be pronounced in Spanish. So instead of the E-A or E-Y that you typically find at the end of Chelsea, it's just an S-Y. So if you, it, but if you can get past that little hurdle, you can easily find me on LinkedIn. I love to connect with uh, lawyers out there. I'm, I put out content on LinkedIn, and it's a really easy way to to get a hold of me if you want to continue the conversation in some way. Alternatively, you can always visit my own website for my practice and consulting at castrojacobs.com. Well, thank you to Nora Bergman and Chelsea Castro for joining us today. And thank you to you, my listeners. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening service. That's a huge help to us. And if you have a book or a topic that you'd love us to cover, please write to us at books at abajournal.com.